the champs are here. And so are some challengers, for a little while at least. Wes and Susie continue undefeated elimination runs. Kahuta and Kellyanne pull off some upsets. Rookie Sarah, she's the happiest person on earth until some asshole guys are assholes for months on end. Ev, she won't join the dark side. No, not this time around. Katie won't put up with a plunger in her bed. And Darrell certainly will not put up with drunk Brad yelling in his face all night long. That's right, it's the challenge. Season 18, The Ruins. Full season rewatch and recap coming up right now. What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to The Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things The Challenge, past, present, or future. If it's happening in The Challenge universe, then we are here to document it. I am your host and dedicated challenge historian, Jacob Hollaball. Thank you so very, very much for being here with me today. On today's podcast, we are breaking down season 18 of The Challenge, The Ruins, a season with a massive dark cloud hanging over it, yes. However, a season that if you bring your umbrella, you dare to take at face value, you might realize is actually sneaky, kind of good, bordering on awesome at times. And then you remember the not-so-awesome parts. What I'm trying to say is there's a lot to talk about with this season, and it's going to get complicated. Are you up for it? Because I have no idea if I am, but I'm certainly going to try. We ain't skipping this season. It's too good for that. Everything that needs to be covered will be covered here today on this very podcast. Now, before we get into it, a few program announcements, and I know you're likely to fast-forward right now, so please do not fast-forward because this first one you need to hear. The Challenge, Season 38, Ride or Dies, it premieres tonight. Yes, even if you are listening to this, in fact, only if you are listening to this on the day this podcast comes out, on Monday, the 10th, The Challenge Season 38, Ride or Dies, premieres tonight. Do not be fooled by MTV doing a shit job of promoting this the way it happened back on Spies, Lies, and Allies. Episode 0, which is a full-blown episode. It's not a launch special or whatever they want to brand it as or call it. It's it's a full-blown first episode. It airs tonight, Monday night. So if you're listening to this on Monday, make sure you're tuning into that if you are going to watch Rides or Dies, which... Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you love the challenge and you're going to be watching what might be an amazing all-time season coming up here with Ride or Dies. But if you don't know, you missed back on Spies, Lies, and Allies. They did this the Monday night before the, quote, premiere episode on Wednesday. They had a launch special, quote, and uh, the launch special was a full-blown episode where you got to know all the new people. There was no challenges, no nothing, just in the house, having fun, getting to know people. It was maybe the best episode of the season. I bet this episode might be one of the best episodes of the season. So make sure you're watching it. And if you're listening to this not on the Monday, the 10th, make sure you go back. I don't know if between, you know, wherever you watch, if there's DVR capabilities, if MTV.com lets you log in, if you got a cable package, however you watch, see if you can go back and watch episode zero, the launch special. It's worthwhile. I will, of course, be covering that episode. That will be the next episode out on this very podcast later tonight. This comes out Monday morning. That podcast is going to come out Monday night because when I scheduled this podcast, I didn't know that was happening because, again, MTV sucks at promoting this and didn't mention it until five days out from the whole thing freaking airing. I digress. So this pod is today, Monday night. Tonight, there will be the Rider Dies launch special podcast recap, and then Wednesday night, I will be back again 
into Thursday morning to talk the technical premiere episode of Ride or Dies. I will also have Survivor coverage over on Most Likely 2 on Saturday morning. Back next week with Cutthroat on Rewatch Mondays. It's official day that it's been most of the time, but is now back officially on one a week on Mondays as we're doing today, as we will do next week with Cutthroat. So, just had to get that out there. Make sure, if MTV can't do it themselves, I'm trying to help everyone out. Make sure you watch the launch special, Ride or Dies, Tune into the recap coming Wednesday night. As always, hit follow, subscribe. You won't miss a thing. You won't miss out on any challenge-related content. I've got your back. I've got you covered. I've got it all covered. And with that, thank you, as always, for being here, for being with me, for listening to this or any episode of this podcast. I appreciate you more than I could put into words. I love you so much. And now, without further ado, let's head on to Phuket, Thailand to catch some champs feasting on some challengers. As we always do with the rewatch series, we're going to start high level. The state of the show at this time, where it's still in 2009, the basics of it. And we're going to talk first history evolution, but we're also going to add a little bit extra into this first opening high level segment by doing a little player history, a little storylines coming in. This was uh, something that was suggested to me a while back now, and I am so unbelievably sorry to the person who I know is listening to this like I'm the one that DM'd you about this I I I I uh, forget right now, and I don't have my phone actually in the room with me while I record, so I can't even look to see who it was. But this was brought to my attention that it would be an obvious and good thing to add into this part of the podcast. So I will be doing it here from here on out now that we have a lot of backstory, a lot of history with a lot of these people. And this is a great season to start doing this with so much backstory coming into this season. So we will cover a little of that in this high-level section. We start with the state of the show. They're cranking out to a year. They're going strong. The challenge is going nowhere. All of its possible faults or warts aside, it doesn't matter. This is still a juggernaut. It's still pumping out a million-plus viewers a week for an MTV network that is starting in 2009 to really lose its grip on, like, what are we? What is our brand? What do we put on here? We're in the earliest possible days of just the notion of what if cable isn't the answer forever. So all of that's going on in the background. But the challenge is going strong. It is a staple of the MTV. It ain't going anywhere anytime soon. Same thing with the real world, pumping out good seasons now. We're coming off of Brooklyn, and we're at Cancun. Cancun is filming or airing right along the same time as this. We're about to get that cast coming into the fold here very soon. So they're cranking out to a year, but they're also still trying to find that next generation of stars as well as the next generation of show formats, but it is coming into focus. We've got for sure, we are well in the midst of the J.E.K. dynasty, as some know it. That's Johnny, Evan, and Kenny. I personally throw J.E.K.D. on the end of that because Derek is certainly a part of not only that alliance, that friend group, but the domination of the show for a period of time here that we are in the thick of right now. We're at the tail end of, actually, right now in this moment. They so they've got a little bit. Those those are their stars. They're kind of leaning on those three to four guys. They've also got Wes back in this moment, which shows you not only you know they're lean. That's who they're leaning on. Real world Austin, 
Key West and fresh meat, more or less, is what they're really banking on. They're the new stars, but also the favoritism of the men is at an all-time high of building up these male stars and not always doing as much or incentivizing as much or calling back all of the people who on the female side could be built up into that next generation of star. A little here and there, but not nearly as much as the focus being put on this particular group of guys as well as a bunch of the guys in this kind of era of the show. So that's where the show's at. It's still finding its footing and moving into the next generation, but there's no, there's no, there's no chance that it falls off the cliff or anything like that. It's going strong. It's got such a good foundation. It's just getting near the end of that transition. And of course, we know with hindsight, we're right on the cusp of the all-time run. We're right on the cusp of Rivals. We're only a few seasons away. We're on the cusp of Fresh Meat 2, which we've already covered on this podcast, but with the influx of amazing talent, especially amazing female star talent into the show. So lots of things are about to change, but we're still in this J.E.K. Dynasty-like transitional era. The basics of this season. It's season 18. We're in Phuket, Thailand, a place near and dear to my heart for a long story I won't go into, but the end, the end short, TLDR of it is I got engaged off of uh, the back end of a trip to Phuket, Thailand once upon a time. So Phuket has a a really special place in my particular heart and in challenge fans heart because a lot of great seasons have happened in Phuket, Thailand. It's arguably the goat single location. Maybe not the goat if you go full countrywide and allow any place within one country, but if you're going straight one single location, Phuket's way, way up there with uh, Invasion of the Champions, as well as a few others along the way, seasons and or finals. We've got 28 cast members on this season, the second season in a row that they bust out 28 cast members on us. That starts to be, you know, it's not an exact number every single season, but they start to get, you know, kind of fine-tuned in that mid-20s range. Those cast members are on the champion side, Derek from Extreme, Evan Freshmeat, Johnny Key West, Kenny Freshmeat, Susie Down Under, Darrell Campus Crawl, Johanna Austin, Veronica Semester at C, Cyrus from Boston, Abyss from Extreme, Wes from Austin, Katie from The Quest, Tanya from Chicago, and Evelyn from Freshmeat. Over on the challenger's side, those who have not won a challenge prior to this, Kellyanne from Sydney, Sarah from Brooklyn, Casey from Freshmeat, Dunbar from Sydney, Kimberly from Hollywood, Brad from San Diego, Kahuta from Sydney, Danny from Austin, Adam from Paris, Brianna and Nick from Hollywood, Siobhan from Sydney, DM from Fresh Mead, and Chet from Brooklyn. So we've got those 28, and as we just referenced, split into champs versus challengers, a new format for teams, champions, people who have won at least once before versus challengers, a mix of rookies and vets alike who have never won. We've got the double elimination format that we had from Duel 2 brought into this. We've got captains type format of three nominees on both sides. The winning team gets to pick of those nominees for both teams who goes in. So a completely new format, but with elements of many that have come before and like always for the better part of a 10 plus season run here or more 12 15 plus season run we've got three hundred thousand dollars on the line plus some prizes plus a new twist of individual bank accounts that can be stolen via beating someone in the ruins as for history made during this season firsts uh, evolutions, anything of that nature. There was a decent amount of history, not just, you know, the first, obviously we just said champs versus challengers, individual bank accounts. Those are both brand new things to a format of the challenge. But as far as, 
you know, other history made non-statistical realm here. Three people were sent home for fighting. Four people were sent home in total. One injured, a popped implant here, three fights there. That is the most ever sent home from one single season ever in the history of the show. Then from a statistical standpoint, a whole lot of statistical history was made at the end of this season. Wes becomes the winningest at this point elimination player of all time. At the end of this season, he is eight and one in eliminations ever. That's the most wins ever. And, you know, if you go more than one or two eliminations, it's the best win percentage at the time, too. Kenny becomes the first ever player to make five finals with his finals appearance in this season. Kenny and Derek both join the three time champion club with this season win. Derek on a three for three run now, not three straight seasons, but three straight seasons for him individually. But Kenny and Derek joined Jamie Murray, Veronica, and Darrell, who is the only four-time winner. But those five now make up the three-time club. Johnny, Evan, and Susan joined the two-time club champion, which is now at 19 people who have won two or more championships through 18 seasons of the show. Evan takes over the lead, the long-held lead by Coral for most confessionals ever across all seasons. Evan now overpasses Coral. He is at 304 confessionals by the end of this season. He is at the highest average confessional per episode uh, by far at the end of this season, if you don't count people who are, you know, only did one or two episodes ever. Now, part of that is because he's in hour-long episodes versus the half-hour episodes of original. I don't know if I balance that out, how that would look, but... It is what it is. Evan has the most confessionals ever after this season. And of course, uh, there's one other first to happen. Before we talk about that, let's talk about player histories, the the new element of this high-level look. We're coming into the season, and this season with this cast that we just listed out comes with a lot of baggage, a lot of backstory, a lot of previous story arcs being brought into this season, a lot of lives literal personal lives in and outside of the game being brought into this season and meshing once again. We've got Wes, who is in the house with Johanna, who is now his ex-fiance. We learned on the island that they were engaged. They had bought a house together, and then they broke up. Johanna on the island hooked up with Kenny, Wes's arch enemy. Wes, Johanna, and Kenny are all here on this season, causing all kinds of awkwardness coming in. How is that going to be with them all three in the house together? And then adding even more to it, Wes is dating Kellyanne coming into this season. They have not done a season together previously, but they met each other off of the show, knew they from each other from the world of the challenge, began dating. And now they come into the house. So Wes not only has his ex-fiance with the guy she hooked up with on national television, but he's got his new girlfriend. And his new girlfriend, Kellyanne, also has Kahuta, her former crush from the last season, The Island of the Show, there as well as Dunbar, who she gets in an argument with because they maybe or did maybe did not hook up on Sydney, and he maybe or maybe did not tell people about it, and that maybe or maybe does not make Kellyanne very upset. And then, of course, if Dunbar's there, Kim's there, which is the girl he broke up with his girlfriend for after the duel, too. That didn't work out, but it also didn't stop them from maybe going into the bathroom a couple times by themselves on this season. So there's a whole lot of backstory relationship-wise coming into the house with that group. Plus, then you throw in Johnny, Kenny, Derek are all here with Evelyn, who they tortured mentally, Evelyn and Kellyanne, who they mentally tortured on the island all at the end to see Evelyn join the dark side, join Johnny, Kenny, and Derek and win that season with them. Johanna's there too. She was a part of that. Her and Kellyanne's rivalry runs deep at this point. And then we also had Veronica and Tanya coming into this season, having not necessarily gotten along in the past. And that obviously comes to a head this season as well. So 
There's a lot of player history that matters coming into this season. It's one of the biggest buildups towards the season when the cast was announced of like, holy cow, this group, this group, this group, they're all going to be back together. Like, how's Evelyn going to deal with this? How's Wes and Johanna and Kenny going to be? Holy crap, Wes is dating Kellyanne, but Kellyanne's there and Kahut is there. Dunbar's there. Kim's there. What, what is going on? All these histories going into it. It was crazy. That's where the show was at. The final first that was made then going back and rounding it out with the last piece of history that was made is a very unfortunate one, and it leads us right into our storylines. That unfortunate piece of history is that, of course, the season also brought the first ever lawsuit against Buna Murray, MTV, The Challenge, and some cast members by a cast member. So, Without further ado, uh, it's you know it's the elephant in the room. It's the cloud that hangs over this season, and it's the first and biggest storyline that we're gonna have to taste talked about in face head on. The Ruins is a pretty tough season to talk about. A season that is at times you know often remembered for one singular thing, and that was the treatment of not only all of the women on in the cast of this show, but in particular of Tanya in the lawsuit that would come out a few years after the airing of this show from Tanya against MTV, Buna Murray, Evan, and Kenny. And we've got to talk about it. There's no, there's no way around it. We have alluded to this many times in the many seasons leading up to this, not only that we would eventually have to talk about this lawsuit, about incidents that took place during this season, but also about leading up to this season, this season being kind of the culmination of a lot of the really gross gender politics that were going down in the house in the kind of, you know, indirect promotion or incentivizing of some really nasty behavior that all came to a head this season and with this lawsuit that eventually came out of it a couple years after the fact. So, if this is something is a topic you you don't care about, uh, you don't want to hear. You're just you're over. It, you're like it's you know it's 13 years later. I just want to hear about the season itself and not this type of stuff. I wouldn't say I totally blame you, but I also encourage you not to skip ahead because this it's super important things that we're talking about. And while I may not be the most qualified person to discuss it by any stretch of the imagination, I am someone who considers myself a historian of this show, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so we can't we can't go any further talking about this season without talking about what possibly happened, the lawsuit that came out of it, and just the general the treatment of women and Tanya specifically in the house and just everything that comes with that. So I'm going to do my best here and we'll, we'll see where we get to with it. But there was a lawsuit filed two years after the airing of this season, which is why the two individuals named in the lawsuit, Evan and Kenny are on multiple more seasons of this show, regardless of their eventual ban or blacklisting or whatever you want to call it be by because of the result of uh this lawsuit and everything else that's why they're on you know fresh meat uh the ruins or the ruins geez, that's the season we're talking about rivals and that rivals is where the last season both of them are on so there's a lawsuit filed by tanya it alleges sexual assault by kenny and evan it says that she was violated with a toothbrush while passed out drunk the night where we saw her in the show, uh, Johnny throw powder in her face. That is the night that she alleges things happened. She also files for unlawful termination, harassment, and failure to prevent discrimination or retaliation. Those are against Buna Murray and MTV specifically. Her claims included 
that cast members witnessed everything and that camera crews filmed everything, meaning that production knew and covered up the actions of, uh, of Evan Kenny and of everyone in the house are all the many different instances that she references in her long list of claims for their part. Buna Murray said that they found Tanya's claims to be completely baseless. So they came out strong and said, all of this is completely baseless. That is what the statement, the single statement that they gave publicly, uh, at least that I could find in kind of the public record. Here's what I'd like to say about this. Those are just kind of the facts of what, what was alleged. Um, the, the Nothing ever went to a full-blown trial or court proceeding. This was all settled out of court um, and very privately, and there was very little to no details made public other than the initial court filing, which you can read and which I did read, uh, you know, shortly, actually shortly again for the second or third time before recording this podcast. Here's what I got to say about all this. I have no idea what happened. I, the one thing I do know is that it is very hard in our world for a victim of these types of crimes to come forward. Unfortunately, that is a cruel reality that the world we live in makes it so that to add insult to injury and pain on top of pain, it makes it very difficult for victims of these types of situations to come forward and therefore makes it very difficult for any justice after the fact to happen. Um, I'm glad that in recent years we've moved towards, you know, since the time of this happening in 2009, between then and now, we've certainly moved towards a world that encourages and helps facilitate bringing to justice those who commit heinous acts like the ones described in this lawsuit. Um, so that that's a positive, although we're far, far cry off from making it, you know, finding a way to eradicate more of these things from the world or, you know, be able to resolve them and bring justice about after the fact, but we're, we've gotten better. So, you know, that's something I guess, but what I think actually happened that night really doesn't matter because most of all, I have no clue. I wasn't there. You listening, you weren't there. Only those who were there actually know what happened. And for that single reason, I'm not, I'm not here to comment on, you know, Kenny and Evan and what they may or may not have done in that moment on the assault part of this. I'm sure everyone listening has their own opinions right now in your head. You're thinking to yourself, whatever your opinion is about what happened, what didn't happen, your opinions about Evan, Kenny, Tanya, you have them. They're probably strong held opinions. And I'm sure that every one of you listening that has those opinions, nothing I'm going to say is going to make you change those opinions for the worse, for the better, any, anything else, any, anything at all. It's not going to change your mind. So I, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what, you know, to be some, you know, armchair expert, some, uh, you know, someone who just reads, uh, reads one document is like, Oh yeah, of course, this is what happened. This is what didn't happen. Not doing any of that. However, I will be discussing everything else about not only Evan and Kenny's time on this season, Tanya's time on this season, everything else on this season, uh, the the good and the ugly of the behavior towards each other that we see on camera that we have actually to discuss and to talk about. And I will talk about Evan and Kenny the same as I've discussed them on every season leading up to this, and we'll discuss them on seasons past this. Um, that, you know, I'll take it at face value what we see on camera um, and, and, you know, grade those, judge those, have opinions on those as it will be. 
The thing that I do want to say, though, and that I will say um, when reading this actual lawsuit, the actual court filings, again, which I have done a couple times now, it's still out there and available if you're if you're interested to read exactly what is alleged, all the different details, um, you, you can find it. Uh, it's out there and available. There are many other allegations Tanya made about the show and the environment that in large part were absolutely spot on. They they were not in any way going to win her anything in court because of just how the laws were set up and especially how the contracts um, that were signed by all the cast members were set up that a lot of the contracts started coming out during this time to you know get some some backstory, I guess, on what, what is allowed, what's not allowed, what are, what are they liable for, all that kind of stuff. But regardless of if it didn't win her anything in court, it was true that a lot of what she alleged about the way the show is run and the things they are subjected to as cast, she was right about a lot of it. For instance, she mentions multiple times in, I, I don't know if I should even say she, her, her team, her lawyers, everything, Tanya, mentions that they give them unlimited alcohol with limited food in hopes of causing shit to go down, which, yes, that is a thing that they did. Not only the challenge, but all the reality shows do, did. Still, some of them do, some of them do to varying degrees. That is the line I always talk about. That is the thing that is, you know, the driving part of what interests me in an odd way and what, you know, I wanted to find out more things like this about from the documentary that we've seen over the last few weeks is how they handle these decisions because there is that line, all of the reality series, especially the challenge, try to walk up to that line of promoting drama, promoting instability, tr- promoting volatility, but not wanting it to go too far. And obviously in this instance, it went much too far, regardless of specific allegations here, just everything we see on camera, it goes too far. So that part's spot on. It also mentions other acts done by Johnny, Evan, and Kenny, you know, like the plunger in Katie's bed or the powder thrown in people's faces and that nothing was done about it and that it was even encouraged. Those are things that are slayed out in this lawsuit. And again, yes, uh, those are all true. It was inherently, you know, indirectly, inherently, how are you going to say it? It was indirectly encouraged by production over the years to do shit like this. Is putting a plunger in someone's bed illegal or would everyone say it's even morally wrong or it's just some funny prank? You know, it's certainly not illegal and where you fall on like you should never ever do that versus it's a funny prank. That's for you to fall somewhere on that spectrum. But uh, while it doesn't mean anything in court, it is true that over the years indirectly pranks and teasing and, you know, just promotion of that drama was a is built into this show, is built in the reality television and it certainly was indirectly encouraged by production over the years and enhanced by, you know, uh, by it being basically rewarded more or less, but for a lot of the guys, especially on these shows to do these things towards a lot of the women, especially. And the same with the claims about the derogatory terms that were used against women. There was a bunch of claims in the lawsuit about derogatory terms and words being used against the women in the house, which of course happened all the time. That flew every which way possible in this house. And again, is not something that is illegal. We can morally think what we want to about the characters that are slinging them around in certain situations versus others. But it it's true that that is the environment that they're living in. Now, the only single false claim I will say in the whole thing is the wrongful termination. She tried to sue for wrongful termination from the show, which, you know, yes, uh, to be clear, horribly mistreated, should not have been there. We're getting to that part. Um, But 
she also did hit Veronica across the face several times, and that is just standard grounds to be removed from the show. So on that one single item, I would say, you know, everything else you're talking about, very, very spot on here and things the show needs to face head on and figure out how to better themselves with. But as far as the wrongful termination, while, you know, that fight may have been the result of all this other stuff we're talking about, she did still hit someone across the face. So uh, that that is grounds to be removed. Now, to finish this out a little bit, Tanya shouldn't have been there and in the beginning. She shouldn't have been allowed to be there. And that is on production. That is not taking care of your people. She needed help. It was clear for a few seasons of the show in a row that she was in a bad place in life. She needed some assistance. She needed some help. And that a regular daily environment was, you know, she she was struggling to find a stable environment where she could both either get that help or seek that help or just kind of get some things cleaned up in her, her life. And you know this about a person, you see it, you see in multiple seasons that you cast her in that it, you know, that this is the situation and the fact that they brought her back for, I would say this is the third season where we're like, this is pretty clear just to those of us watching that like this, this isn't cool that you're casting this person anymore. You should instead be saying thank you for everything you've done for these two different franchises, the real world, and the challenge. And we would like to help you, you know, get get some help that we think as people that care about you um, would be a, would be a benefit to your life. And instead they cast her again. Um, and not only that, they put unlimited alcohol in the house. They cast Johnny, Annie and Kevin and Veronica among others who they know there's a history there with. They know Johnny, Evan and Kenny like to pick on and prank Tanya in the past. They were just essentially asking for the line to be crossed. Um, they were essentially asking for this to boil over into, you know, the Island part two of we had that season. We had those people treating each other so horribly, saying such horrible things to everyone, mainly people and guys and Johnny specifically that is now on this season. And you're just asking for that to happen. And then that line was crossed numerous times, not even counting the possibility of sexual assault, which is beyond lines or morals. It's just flat out horrific and despicable, but not even counting that lines were crossed. Things we see on camera lines were crossed. She shouldn't have been there. And that's, that's really a shame. Final, final thing. Tanya wasn't the only one mistreated on this season. She's the only one that, you know, it went possibly to that level on, but as I've tried to cover bit by bit over the last few seasons of the rewatch series, the show via the formats of the seasons, the casting choices, the production decisions or non-decisions, and the platforming of the bad behavior, turning some of these people into stars while the victims of the behavior didn't get callbacks or you know weren't given a lot of screen time other than when they're being picked on or pranked or attacked was pretty bad, pretty horrible. And it all led up to this point of boiling over into something really regrettable for the franchise and a really big, un, undeniable wart, shitty, shitty stuff that went down and happened and that the, the franchise had to reckon with, had to deal with. It's a problem the show had to take on in earnest. A lot of the female would-be stars of this show were on the receiving end of a lot of this mistreatment over these seasons. And it just sucks looking back at the things where you know it just wasn't a level playing field. It wasn't even close for the women versus the men coming into these houses. The the shitstorm they had to deal with. The again, it, it's supposed to be mentally excruciating. I am all for that. It's why the things like the like the derogatory terms. Yeah, that sucks. I don't want to have people calling people all these crazy shit. But like that is 
a little bit like part of what they're trying to go for of like we're this is the challenge and you know what a lot of challengers recently have said about totally different topics not to connect their comments from one thing to another but you know say it's supposed to be mentally hard it's supposed to be drive you up a freaking wall it's supposed to be crazy you're not supposed to enjoy the environment you're living with but it's also supposed to be a level playing field and you're also supposed to have some modicum of respect for each other and especially the production to the cast there's supposed to be that respect and care and understanding and as fucked up as it all may be uh it makes me appreciate the corals and the veronicas and the rachels and the tinas of the world all the more and i know that might be weird to say but it makes me appreciate them even more for being able to speak on some of this stuff in the moment call it out as we've mentioned over the last few you know rewatches you know talking about those four in particular among others who were able to do that in the moment and even if it didn't make a difference for them in that exact moment they were saying it it was making a difference in fans mind watching it being able to expose some of this stuff and how things would thankfully change over the years to come so uh, you know, it makes me a season like this makes me even more appreciative of um, of the corals of the Tina's of the world. That's all for that. Uh, I don't know if I covered it all. I don't know if I covered it way too much. We've been talking about it way too long. But again, it's important uh, and it's sad and it's a bummer that it is the most memorable thing about this season, probably uh, almost undeniably. And uh, now I want to talk about more fun things. If that's cool with you, that's that's what I'd like to do. That's what we're going to do. So if it's not cool with you, I never want to tell someone to turn off the podcast. But, uh, you know, we're going to move on from this moment and we're going to talk about everything else from this season. And thankfully, everything else, there was some entertaining stuff. There was some really good stuff. There is actually a really great season hidden underneath this dark cloud that is, you know, the lawsuit and how some of the people in the house were treated all season. So we're going to move on from all that dark stuff and we're going to head on over to talking about all the other stuff, which will be a much better time. The champions absolutely kicked the challenger's ass. That is the biggest storyline of the season. Certainly, without a doubt, uh, you know, if you if you remember back to the ruins, the thing you're probably going to think about is the fact that the champions absolutely demolish the challengers and then almost blow it in the end. Almost the big upset is pulled. Let's talk about it. The champs, they absolutely dominate mainly because the teams are not fair at all, which, you know, surprise, surprise, you put champions on one side, they're almost all going to be good to great to the best that have ever played the game, and the challengers are just not going to be that. Now, the teams out of the gate aren't, they're, they're lopsided, but it's not anything crazy, but the fact that Derek, Evan, Johnny, Kenny, Darrell, Ed, Wes, are your guys on one side, not to mention I don't want to slight my man Cyrus. is the If Cyrus is the worst, obviously the worst male on your team, and it's freaking Cyrus, your team is stacked beyond belief on the male side. And then on the female side, I mean, Susie, unbelievable. Evelyn, the best woman ever, maybe. Tanya is a great competitor. Johanna has found her way to win before. Uh, you know, Katie obviously has found her way to win before. I, I, I say that like some of these people haven't. Everyone on their team has found their way to win before, but the champions team is just unbelievably stacked. The challengers team, sure. Kellyanne's really awesome. Sarah turns out to be really awesome. Uh, you know, Dunbar, Brad, Adam, you know, there's, there's some things to like. Kim's got some spunk to her. DM, you know, everyone loves DM. 
DM's a very good competitor, but you know, it's just like, uh, we're kind of like counting on Danny to really like hold it down over on that side. We're really hoping Kahuta can like really knock out some giants, which he does briefly, you know, you know, does a really, really good job, but it's just, these teams just aren't fair. They kind of know that going in. It's why it's the one season where it feels the most set up of like, I get this is a good format. I like the idea of like, we should put challengers versus champions. You re, you talk about that in a conference room. It sounds good. But then you write up the teams and you're like, oh, yeah, then maybe this isn't so good. But then you look at the teams and you're like, oh, but we can get Johnny, Evan, Kenny, Derek, Evelyn, like, They'll win again. That'll be great. Maybe we'll get like a Veronica or a Cyrus, these OGs. They'll come back and they'll win again. It'll be great. And you're like, all right, we'll go with it. We'll we'll make what we do of it. The champs win eight out of nine dailies. Um, it's mostly because they're better. Uh, they probably would win all of them regardless, but it's also in large part aided by the fact that the challengers, and I say this as lovingly as possible because this person is truly wonderful and I love her so much on this show and I've loved having her come back into our lives on all stars, but the challengers have Casey and on this season, um, you know, it isn't, it is one of the only examples of where, you know, there's a lot of people over the history of this show that get told they're a layup or like they're the worst person on the team. And it's like, it's not true at all. It's just everyone else being scared and picking on one person to put them at the bottom of the totem pole in this particular season. The champs purposely, as they win, 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 the format allows them to then pick the elimination matchups, and they are never going to pick Casey because they think of Casey as their best team player. She's on the other team, and they have a reason to think that. Casey does, unfortunately, uh, you know, is the kind of the one that drags down um, the team in a lot of these nine daily challenges that they do a few of them straight up. It's just like obvious depending if they do individual runs and it's, it's just a real, real bummer, but it is what it is. Champs win eight out of nine and they mostly mop the floor in the elimination ring as well. There's a middle of the season comeback by the challengers, but it doesn't last long. And it's mostly because no one can beat Wes or Susie. Now Wes, he wins a couple in a row he eventually gets upset by Kahuta. Kahuta is the only male challenger to win a, win an elimination on the challenger's side of things. The only single male victory for the challengers on the men's side is Kahuta's upset win over Wes and then his not-so-upset win over Cyrus in the next one before eventually finally falling in his third elimination round to Durrell. Susie, on the other hand, does what Wes cannot do. She doesn't just go two for two. She goes, or two for, yeah, two for two. She goes three for three. And so the beginning of the season, you know, the the cha- or the or challengers can't beat Wes. The back half of the season, they can't beat Susie. They're whittled down. They are in the middle of the season. While they can't win a daily challenge, they get to where it's seven to seven and five to five, but it's reversed of each other. It's four guys, one woman on one side, four women, one guy on the other side. When Johnny beats Dunbar to knock him out at the end, there's no men left on the challengers team, and there's almost no one left at all. There's only Sarah and Kellyanne by the end. And even that, when you think back, one of the biggest moments of the season is Evelyn at the start of the season, giving up uh, versus Kellyanne, essentially quitting. She performs. They go into the elimination. Evelyn actually goes up two to one in a best of five series in Shadow Boxer. Very cool. You have to pull your hands and feet are connected to your opponent, pull them off a platform elimination. And But then she throws in the towel on number four, number five, allows her good best friend Kellyanne to win because she is wrongfully thrown against her, her best friend, against her wishes by none other 
than Johnny and Kenny and Derek, who, if you remember, back on the island, treated her and Kellyanne like complete and utter dog shit. Take Derek out of that. Derek did not. Derek was compliant in the alliance, but I don't want to. I don't want to lump him in with the actual dog shit treatment of those two women by the other two men that have been mentioned. But then Evelyn joined them, and they won the championship together at the very end. She turned to the dark side this season. She says, nope, 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 not doing that. And now you fucked me over. You put me against my best friend. This is bullshit. And instead of going the West route, she decides to go the route of, you know what? I don't want to stay and try to throw stuff and make deals or whatever. I just want to go home. I want to let my friend win. I don't want to deal with these people again. And she bows out. And if Evelyn doesn't do that, Evelyn wins that elimination. Let's be clear. She's barely trying, and she wins two of the first three rounds. She wins. Uh, no no shade at Kellyanne. Evelyn's Evelyn. She's a beast. She had her visor on. She was going to win, all right? But if, if she does, if Evelyn just does that, Kellyanne's not there from the start. And holy moly, what ends up happening? Because then is just Sarah left at the end by herself? Does that change the other eliminations? Does Evelyn eventually just be like, I'll be this. I, we don't even need Susie to take everyone out. I'll do it. Is there a version of this show, a world where the entire challenger team is eliminated before the final? Because that was on the table, given the other disqualifications that took place very much on the table that they could have got to the end with no one that would have been crazy. That's a pretty big what if, if Evelyn would have done that. It also is something to be remembered when looking at Evelyn's possible GOAT resume that she did, in fact, give up this season. And otherwise, no one's beaten her in any of these games. Uh, none of the other females in the house are beating her in any of these elimination games. She's going to the end, and she's winning because their team wins, and I don't think she slows them down any more than they went in the final Adam and Danny losing is really when this season flipped. Uh, those were the ones that kind of changed things that early on of like, if Adam could have beat Cyrus, if Danny could have beat Darrell, I think the game could have flipped, but otherwise they didn't. But, and yet, we get to the end, and Sarah and Kellyanne almost pull it off in the final. Five versus two. Johnny, Evan, Kenny, Derek, Susie on one side, Sarah and Kellyanne on the other, and they almost had it. They should have had it. They did have it. They take a substantial lead in a final where you have to collect five. You basically do five checkpoints to collect five artifacts and then go on a nice long run to the ruins at the end. They're up a full artifact, three to two. They both get back to put their third, the challenge women, challenger women, to the second of the champ men and woman. And they're up a full artifact. They're they're so they're way way in advance. And then those stupid silly balance beams where they go slow and steady. They think you know the the tortoise beats the hare or whatever they say, but they go so slow that they give up all of that lead to the champs to catch back up. Where they eventually tie at four to four. They literally put the fourth artifact in at the exact same time of each other. It then comes down to as many finals have. One single puzzle. This felt very old school, real world road rules challenge, like battle of the seasons, gauntlet, inferno one level where like all that matters is the one single group puzzle at the end. That's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing as Cora would say, the only thing that decides finals is the one puzzle. You got to be able to do the one puzzle. And in this instance, it was basically Sarah doing the puzzle versus 
Evan and Susie doing the puzzle on their team. The only difference was Evan and Susie had three mules in Derek, Johnny, and Kenny to move the pieces around for them as they tried to try things out, which gave them a lot more trial and error. They get the answer. They go on. They get the win. But that stupid balance beam, if if Sarah and Kellyanne just went a little faster on that because the other thing that has to be said is with that puzzle, Sarah and Kellyanne eventually time out. But they time out at 30 minutes, and they show, and if we believe the editing, it's honest, they show that the champs don't finish the puzzle until after the 25-minute mark of them being there. They get there at the same time, so they finish in minute 26, minute 27 maybe, and the girls time out in minute 30. So we're talking a two- to three-minute difference. They were up by way more than two to three minutes halfway through this thing when they were up three to two checkpoints. It's tough. It would have It would have changed everything. How scared Johnny, Evan, Kenny, and Derek, mostly Johnny, but all four of them are of going against these two. The final two episodes is the most hilarious thing ever. How scared Johnny is of having Susie on their team and that Sarah and Kellyanne are going to beat them. And all of that is incredible. And for those of you who want to argue CT over bananas as the goat of the challenge, This should be your top argument. Don't start with anything else. Don't start with any head-to-head. Don't do the backpack. Don't do anything else. I'm I'm throwing you a bone here. I'm helping you out. If you want to argue CT over bananas, if you want to do the goat debate, the head-to-head argument, start with Johnny Bananas being terrified to run this final versus Sarah and Kellyanne. That's that's your first uh, piece of ammunition, if you will. If Sarah and Kellyanne, we'll play what if game real quick here. If they pull the upset, it's one of the greatest, it's one of the biggest upsets in challenge history, certainly. It's also maybe the greatest rookie season ever by Sarah. If, like, legit, maybe the greatest if she pulls this off and wins this season. And it would have vaulted this season up so, so, so high in the rankings. We'll get, obviously, at the very end of this into where this season ranks all time, but there was a chance for it to be really all-time great, even with all of the stuff that we spent a while talking about before we got into the real storylines of this season. Uh, this this season had it. It was right there, and Sarah and Kellyanne had it, and they couldn't quite pull it off. Great performance by them. Not so great performance by the challengers all season long. It was set up to be this way, and it ended up being that way. The champions just absolutely proved their championship medal. They kicked ass all season long. Now, the champs dominating all season long was the overarching storyline of the season from start to finish. However, there was maybe one storyline that was even bigger than that. It just only lasted for half of the season and really the first couple of episodes. And that is one Weston Bergman versus everybody. Wes versus everybody on his team. Not versus, you know, I shouldn't even say everybody. Wes versus his own team because it's not versus everyone. He actually gets along quite well with many of the people on the challenger sides of things. If at, if this season they would have just maybe allowed a War of the Worlds 2 style, maybe a swap of teams, this season gets crazy interesting with Wes going over to the other side where he actually likes people and they at least would have tolerated him. Wes versus everybody is the biggest storyline. It opens the season. It is the only thing... Um, that's take it sucks up all the oxygen in the first two episodes and then comes back again by the time he actually gets eliminated. Let's start with the lady portion of this. We uh we reference this in the you know the the high level coming into the season. He and Johanna are there together. They are no longer fiancés. Uh, they've been broken up for a little while. Johanna has been on a season without him. That would be the island where she had sex with Kenny on the beach. 
Kenny and West don't like each other. West didn't like watching that on national television. He and Johanna, though, they clearly still have, like, not just feelings. They clearly have, like, immense feelings for each other. Um, they're constantly having little one-on-one conversations in, during this season that we're seeing where they're trying to get on a level of, like, what's personal, what's game, can we separate those, can we not, what's bothering you, what's bothering me, kind of seemingly both wanting to make things better, but at the same time, both also seeming to want to point out, like, this is why things went the way that they did, and I want to make sure you know that, and I also maybe want these cameras to get me saying that so that you have to own up to this or whatnot on national television. There seemed to be a lot of that going on, but they clearly had a lot of uh, feelings for each other still during this season. Johanna with the all-time mob move that back on the island, she was a part of the quote-unquote family, you know, a reference to a mob-like, a mafia-like alliance name mentality, and she goes full mobster on West during this season where she threatens that, hey, Wes, if you don't play along, if you don't treat me nice, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to sell your house because it's in my name and my name alone, and you shouldn't have done that, which is just all-time gangster shit from her. That is just incredible. Uh, (laughs) Can I condone if she would have actually done that? Would I condone that action? No, but I definitely condone the threat because it's hilarious and amazing and fantastic television. They just have all these one-on-one talks. You can tell they're still trying to figure this shit out. She clearly gets super sad just being in the house in general, not because of him necessarily, but just like she's clearly kind of over this at this point, over this season, certainly in this group of cast, but maybe over the whole show. Totally, she kind of bows out. She tries her best, but also maybe kind of bows out. And it's very obvious in my real-world Austin fan, super fan heart, just shatters every time watching watching this season. Wes and Johanna, uh, you know, were my everything growing up. That was my real world season. Uh, that though I loved, loved, loved them so much. And so watching this breaks my heart every single time. Meanwhile, Wes has a new girlfriend. He and Kellyanne, they are they're they're pretty interesting together in, on this uh, show. Creating their own apartment in the basement is absolutely unbelievably incredible. One of the most weird room situations they've ever put these people in where the challengers had a male room and a female room, but the champs had one big room. Wes wasn't sleeping in there. And, you know, then Kellyanne's like, well, my room's only women. Maybe we don't sleep in there either. They go down and create themselves a full-blown apartment in the basement living room and just take it all over, which is just baller move all around. Um, Wes's team hates him. He hates them. He has some power, uh, but he can't totally wield it. He has the power of throwing challenges and allowing the challengers to then win and get to pick who goes into elimination and allow that power. So even if his team keeps putting him in that group of leaders, that group for possible nomination, if he throws challenges, the challengers will hold that in their fate. And if he's throwing them, giving them money, they won't put him in. He tries it once. It's thwarted. His, his move to say, you know, Later on, he try he go, tries going the route of I'm better than everyone here. I'm donating all the, donating all my money to charity. So why can't we do the draw it out of a hat thing? It's a whole big mess. He does have some power. The couple challenges where he attempts to wield it don't allow him to wield it. And eventually, they at least relent for a day or two. They give him a couple days off, so he goes in the first two. Comes back around. He agrees that it's my time again. I'll go in and uh, I'll go against Kahuta, and then he loses. And you know, as hard as it would be, 
for Wes to have played nice in this situation, it makes total sense. And he actually comes out of this particular season looking kind of incredible compared to the other men in the cast because he's the one that on multiple occasions points out, especially after the Tanya-Veronica fight, he points out like, Evan tries to do the whole, like, look, everyone, we we should all, like, take ownership of maybe we didn't treat her the way we should have, and we haven't all been acting the way, and Wes is like, whoa, 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 I didn't do any of that, Derek didn't do any of that, Darrell didn't do any of that, and, like, makes it very clear and, like, looks at the three individuals in particular who did all of that and makes it very known, you know, he plays the high and mighty, but he also, like, pulls off the high and mighty a little bit throughout this season. And it's a, it's a good look for him as much as he still seems very arrogant in many of these moments. He still thinks that he's the best there by far. And that's proven to be wrong when he ends up losing, but he has some really great moments. And especially in comparison to the others on the cast, he has some great, great moments. Um, but as hard as it would be for him to play nice with that group, if he does in the world where he does, if he plays nice, they at some point they do what they kind of started to do. They would have thrown in a Cyrus. They probably would have thrown in a Johnny or even a Kenny before they would have put him in a third or fourth time if he was playing nice the whole time or along, that is. And they would have realized he's maybe their best player, not named Evan, maybe their best player, regardless of if your name's Evan or not. And they would have wanted him around in the end. And so that part of it is kind of a big what if. The other big what if is what if he just beats Kahuta? Because he's smoking anyone else. Even if he beats Kahata and they're like, you're going into everyone. Sorry, bro. He beats anyone in the house, in the hog tie, in crunch, or in ragdoll, the last, the next three eliminations. So he's in the finals, like no matter what. Um, and he may, in that case, if he beats Kahata, I think he wins all those others, no matter who he goes up against. And then he's upwards of 10, 11, 12, and 0 in eliminations coming out this season, which he would also then get win number two, very early on, how does that change the trajectory of his challenge career and or his life outside of the show? But it also, at the same time, while that's all interesting and cool and fun to think about, it also might totally ruin Fresh Meat too, as far as the storylines and everything. Maybe he doesn't even do it. Maybe the storyline completely changes because he wins with Kenny, who knows? And I don't want to touch that season. I don't want to ruin that season. So I don't want to talk about this what if anymore. But Wes versus everybody in the house dominates the story, literally 100% of it for two episodes, most of the first five. It is the biggest story of the season, singular story of the season that it just doesn't make it all the way to the end. Where Wes stands at the beginning of the season, Susie then stands at the end of the season, going in to every possible elimination. And the last storyline then to talk about is Susie and Sarah, how they kind of come together. We can kind of roll this into one, but it's those two women in particular and the games they play and uh, everything that happens with them this season starting. Let's start with Sarah and then we'll come around to Susie. Sarah, killer rookie season. Absolutely incredible. She comes in. Thing I love maybe more than anything else this entire season, Sarah becomes the first person to admit that she went on real world to get onto the challenge. No one had ever admitted that before. There's clearly people that are now starting to do that. And I appreciate Sarah with the honesty because yeah, uh, I, I, I would have been with you if I could ever have gotten cast on the real world. I would have done it part just for the single fact of trying to get on the challenge. So I appreciate someone saying that. 
Her story all season is she's this killer rookie. She's super lovable, super wonderful, super happy, awesome person who also happens to want to or at least tries to be friends with Johnny and Evan and Kenny and is friends with them for a little while at the beginning. And she puts up with all the bullshit for a very, very long time because she wants to be their friends and she maybe also has a crush on Kenny. They're picking on her nonstop. They're teasing her and it only, it goes from, you know, in the beginning, more or less kind of innocent, like we are going to be friends. So we like bust each other's chops. That's what we do as friends. Turns into more and more like, I want to see how far we can take this. I want to see how mean and cruel I can be to you before you actually snap. And I'm going to try to make you snap. And that is my, by the end of it, I think Kenny even says outwardly and directly, like my goal is, you know, mental manipulation and, you know, to make this such a hell for you that you can't perform well in the final. But they, you know, by the end of the season, they're bringing her two tiers of the brink of tears a bunch. She's standing up for herself, which is great. She doesn't deserve, certainly no one does. She certainly doesn't deserve any of the shit she's getting. Um, She becomes a fan favorite from day one. She clearly is an awesome person. We have her talking very openly about like the things they're saying are so hurtful because there are a lot of the ridicule I got in my life growing up and in my childhood and into my early adulthood. And it's really painful to have someone who I'm trying to be friends with, someone who I may be even crushing on was at least at some point, being the one who keeps doing this and not only does it once, but then knows that it hurt me in that way and then keeps doing it and keeps doing it and keeps doing it. And it's horrible and it's ugly and it sucks. And she stands up for herself and it's wonderful. And others stand up for her and for themselves as well, which is really, really great. Sarah's biggest moment of the season, certainly her win versus Katie in elimination after Katie's talking some shit. Uh, Randomly, Sarah ends up on the wrong end of a Katie yelling fest after the second of two plunger in the bed incident somehow sarah being there and just kind of giggling at it uh receives a complete meltdown from katie which as we've talked about katie's the best at yelling at someone so uh when you're on the receiving end of that it's a lot to handle but they go into elimination versus each other there's birds flying everywhere that's the fingers type of birds flying everywhere it's heated it's back and forth sarah gets the win it's an awesome moment And uh, she just has a killer, killer season. And we talked about earlier that she almost pulls it off in the end. She is the focus more or less of her squad and is the one that almost leads her and Kellyanne to victory at the end. Then we got Susie on the other side, Sarah's new BFF, which obviously is great. One of the fun things looking back this far removed from the season is to know, hey, Susie and Sarah strike up a friendship. Guess what? That friendship is going so strong today. They've got podcasts together. They work together. They are besties in real life. Brain Candy Podcast. Shout out to Susie and Sarah. If you don't know about their pod, go check it out. Give it a listen. They got multiple pods actually coming out now, but Brain Candy Podcast is the original OG one with those two wonderful, wonderful women. Susie dominates the second half of the season. The storyline becomes she is in the power position as more and more people get removed from the game. She becomes the last woman standing on her team, and that puts her in a unique position. Yes, she has to go into every one of the eliminations. She's already been in one early in the season, but she also has all the power to pick who she's going against, to possibly throw missions, to fuck with the guys on her team, and all the guys on her team are scared that she isn't going to have what it takes in the final, mostly because Johnny thinks that, you know, a little bit to his small credit, uh, rightfully knows, hey, that last time we were on a team together, you and your friend 
uh, Kara really just kind of purposely shit the bed a time or two, like really helped you out, really saved your ass to the end. And then we lost the, the loss wasn't on any one person in that final in particular, certainly not Susie, but, uh, he at least had like a small, the smallest, uh, ground to stand on, but then he tried to stand on all the ground and, uh, the rest of it didn't make any sense. And his terrifiedness at Susie being on their team or going up against Kellyanne and Sarah again is hilarious, but I digress. She handles Susie, that is, handles being teammates with J-E-K-D, because, again, Derek is a part of that at times, uh, certainly. At certain times, yes. Certain times, no. As far as the alliance is considered, is. She handles being teammates with them as well as you possibly could. She does make the very, very smart alliance early on with Evan, Kenny, and Johanna. The four of them is amongst the kind of super alliance within the champs group. There's really that key for Evan, Kenny, Susie, Johanna that they pull off to perfection. If the four of us, and then, you know, at times when we need to, we rope in a Derek or a Veronica for a time or two here or there. We rope someone else in if we have to, have to. But otherwise, the four of us, we put ourselves up for nomination. We win the daily challenge. The four of us have four of the six votes in the room. We get to pick the other two teammates that we put up for nomination with us and then the ones going in. And we can also force the matchups for them because, again, we have four votes. That alliance really dominates the game, and Susie is very smart in making that early on. She pulls it off to perfection. And she dominates at the end. She wields her power. She fucks with the guys. It's all great. Her and Sarah have some good laughs. Very well deserved for the shit they went through on this season and others for Susie. Um, Although, yeah, and and others for Susie. And now, speaking of Susie's uh, history on the show, she is now at four seasons, four finals. Yes, one of those seasons early on, everyone made the final. But regardless, four seasons, four finals, Two wins, 4-0 in eliminations, and 50% daily challenge victories. That's an incredible resume. Susie's the female goat at the end of this season. Like, at that time, in that that place, Susie's the female goat. I think uh, maybe Veronica has a claim to it with the three championships at the time, but maybe a coral, but really... Four finals, four seasons, two wins, four and no eliminations, 50% daily challenge wins. I think at the end of this season, Susie can rightfully say, I'm the best female that's ever played, or at least, if not, I'm the best that's ever played. I have the best resume, bar none, of anyone that's ever played. So that's kind of the story of the second half of the season. The last third, certainly, the last couple episodes is just all about Susie and Sarah, and is Susie going to have it in them, and her laughing about like how scared are these guys, and Sarah being like, I can't believe these guys are so scared to go against me, and then Sarah almost pulling it off along with Kelly Ann. Certainly, two real quick, just random things before we move into the awards. The house that they're in. One of the best designed... I guess they don't design the house themselves. They rent the house, but one of the best designed houses for a challenge... Uh, living situation because of the amazingness of the ability to eavesdrop. This thing's four stories tall and just balconies galore on every single story, which leads to a couple different moments. One in particular in episode six, where Veronica first from the bottom floor over here, Susie on floor two talking on a balcony about Veronica. Veronica then goes up to floor three to talk to Evan on a balcony where Susie back on floor two, hears that conversation. Then about her, Veronica talking about, I heard Susie saying this about me. Now Susie's here and Veronica say that about her. 
it's all amazing. The eavesdropping ability because of these balconies and the layout of the house is absolutely fantastic. And I just wanted to note that. And then the other final thing, it's super duper hot this season. This is one of our first ever like really super duper hot and humid seasons. They talk about it a lot during the reunion. They don't really talk about it or mention it during the season. And we don't really notice it all that much, but if you've ever been to Phuket or anywhere in that part of the world, summer in that part of the world in Phuket, super duper hot. And uh, as they say in the reunion, it's incredibly hot the whole time. It affects all of the competitions. They're all sweating their butts off at all times. So that should be stated. That is the first, one of the first ever super, super hot seasons. But with that, that's really all the storyline, the big, big storyline. Certainly, there's some other things to talk about. And as always, we will talk about them. We will do so by handing out some trophies. Awards time. As always, we got the sports side, the show side. We got awards for both. Let's start with the sports side. Best daily, best limb, best athletic performance. Starting with best daily challenge. Couple commentaries on the daily challenge in general. This season's daily challenge, absolutely rock solid. Couldn't, can't think of any other way to describe them, just rock solid. There are no duds. There are also no amazing ones. It's just like B after B after B, just rock solid, good, well thought out daily challenges. None that rise to the level of like, holy cow, that was amazing. That was incredible. That was one of the best ever, but not a single one that's like, that sucked. That was a complete and utter dud. What were they thinking? That doesn't work at all. Like, was that even a good idea in the room? Nothing like that. So just rock solid all the way through. Four of them do, as far as there, even if there wasn't any super amazing ones, four make the list nominees for the best of the season. Episode one, Chain Gang, where they all at the same time had to hang off a rope from a platform that every teammate is hooked to this rope all the way up the rope. And starting with the person at the very bottom, they had to unhook themselves, climb over their partners, climb all the way up the rope to the platform at the top. One by one, they keep doing this. The more pe- whoever got more on top of the platform won. Very inventive, very cool. It uh, was a very tough physical thing, but allowed the teammates to help. It looks funny. They thought it was going to lead to a lot of bad falls. It doesn't. Uh, one or two, not even bad falls, just regular falls. But very, very good, well, well thought out, and a good starting daily challenge. Then episode two, swing on by. That one was very, very good as well. This one, they have to all start on one platform, hang on to a swing one at a time and jump off, swing out and around a fence and land on this other little platform where they could kind of bang into a wall, but it was a really small spot to stand. Every teammate had to get on that same one. This was, of course, the one where a breast implant uh, was maybe popped on this one. More on that soon, Uh, but swing on by. Very, very good. Episode three then. First four episodes were the ones nominated here. They started off strong. And they stayed solid, but uh, tapered off. Episode three, Repo Race, the only one that the challengers won all season long where they had to make a human bridge across everything to allow Kahuta and Derek, the chosen representatives, to run on everyone's back through an obstacle course. Fantastic, hilarious. Also, the challengers win, and so that's kind of fun. And it's just really, really good. Kahuta and Derek get the focus. I love both of them. So that's all great. And then episode four, Fruits of Labor. Uh, They got a transferred fruit without using their hands, using pots and pans and in bags and stuff to throw over walls and lift up and lift down and basically move fruit from one end of the field to the other. The more, the better, the most wins of those four nominees. All very, very good. Again, all just super solid, good quality daily challenges, but the best of the best 
is the third episode. That would be Repo Race. It gets the award. As for best elimination, commentary here before the award. This is the best set of eliminations we've ever had at this point, 18 seasons in. Uh, by far, it might, it, honestly, by far, uh, the best group of eliminations. Almost every single one of the games is really good. There's a lot of competitive matchups. There's some fun upsets then uh just all in all it may be it may be adding a little bias because the daily challenges are so not competitive that it makes these competitive eliminations feel even better because we're like oh thank goodness but it's the best set of eliminations we've ever had uh up to this point of the show as for the best of the best of this best group five nominees make the list four kind of but one of them is uh to get the same nomination because every single episode was a dual elimination a male elimination a female elimination but they played the same game every single time nominees episode two shadow fighters kellyanne beating evelyn as much as this one is evelyn giving up it's fascinating it's interesting it has this huge storyline to it and that game itself shadow fighters is is really really cool and really fun and it's raining and tj knows at the end like i kind of want to do the quitter speech but i'm not because i respect you and i understand why you're doing it everything about it really great then episode four o-ring sarah beating katie we talked about it before katie goes up one nothing sarah comes back wins the next two this is basically uh this is more or less a pole wrestle in midair with a circular ring that you're holding on to, but you can wrestle it as much as you want. You just can't like move around too much. You're suspended in there. So very interesting stuff. The fireworks during it, the little mini rivalry that had sparked right before it, everything about it, Sarah getting her win, celebrating deservedly, everything about really good stuff. Then episode five, Spool, Kahuta beats West, the big upset of the season. This is vibes of not so fast in a way. They're tied to a big rope that is tied all around, knotted up all the way through this obstacle course. They have to move their bodies through the obstacle course, unwinding the rope, get all the rope to the end to win. Kahuta pulls the big upset, ends Wes at eight straight elimination wins, his first ever loss at that point. It really changes the season in a big way even if ultimately temporarily. The other two nominees both come episode nine, then both in Ragdoll, Susie beating Kim, Johnny beating Dunbar. Ragdoll is pole wrestle, but with a rope, a piece of rope versus a stick, so it's flimsy. They can move. They can choke people with it. They can wrap their arms around it. It gets all crazy and intense. It's pouring rain the whole time. It's best of one. Susie beats the living crap out of Kim. Kim puts up an incredible showing of endurance and strength and toughness to put up with it. Susie eventually wins. Johnny beats Dunbar. He's scared to go in. Dunbar is fuming during it. He's all jacked up, ready to go, and Johnny pulls out the win and is a a big one in the history of the game to help him get eventually get the season win. Of those five, though, Sarah beating Katie O-Ring, episode four. That's the best of the season. That's the most fun as much as it's it's tough to not give it to Kahada's upset, and it's tough to ragdoll in the rain, Susie and Johnny, both incredible performances, but I'm giving it to Sarah. And then as far as best athletic performance, this one a little harder to do. Um, there's Kahada and Spool, we just talked about. There's Susie and Ragdoll, uh, because the way she beat Kim, she picks her up a couple different times and slams her down. Like It's a pretty brutal match. Susie's doing a lot to get that victory. So Kahada and Susie both there. I would also, though, throw in, not just throw in, but give the win actually to Wes in episode five in the daily challenge called Block Party, which Block Party 
is one of the stupidest things this show has ever put these people through. One of the silliest, most dangerous things this show has ever put anyone through. If you don't remember, let me jog your memory. This mission, the goal was to move a bunch of uh, cylinder blocks from one side of the field to the other to build a little tower to stand on and ring a gong. But before you got to do that, that tower with the gong, two of your team members got to hold onto it as tight as they could while two or three of the other team tried to rip you off and drag you across the line until they could start. And this meant that Wes held onto this thing and at one point had three and a fourth even person, three guys, I believe it was Kahuta, Dun, Dunbar, and uh, Brad, maybe, the three of them, choking him, trying to grab him, drag him through the ground, rip him off this pole, drag him across his line. He is taking an absolute beating. It takes forever for them to get him across. It is brutal. It is violent. And it makes no sense that they made these people do this. It was just asking for someone to get extremely injured, like really bad injuries probably should have taken place on this. If you do this enough times, there's going to be a lot of injuries. Thank God no one got severely hurt doing it, but Wes's performance in it was kind of incredible, and uh, for that, I'm going to give him the best athletic performance. We move to the show side of things. We got quote, moment, and episode awards to give out. Let's start with quote, f- one, two, three, four, five nominees here. Chronological order. We start with episode one. Kahuta explaining why he and Kellyanne never worked out, but he, uh, she and Wes makes perfect sense. Kelly and I haven't really spoke a whole lot since the island, but I've always got along with Wes. He's probably a whole lot better suited for her than I am. She eats tree bark and I eat fried chicken. It's pretty much a closed case for me. I just love that man so much. I love him so, so much. Uh, I was very fortunate to get to meet him recently at Challenge Mania uh, event and still as wonderful as he's ever been, uh, an amazing wordsmith as he's ever been, as he was there. Second nominee is Evan. Just a nice explanation of how the champions got to be champions in the first place. There's a few things that make us champions. We all know how to lie, cheat, steal, and screw one another over in hopes of a little bit of cash. That's what separates us from the challengers. Sums it up nice. Checks out for uh, everyone on the champions team, whether uh, they show those things more or less than others. They all do a little bit of all of those things at some point, and it does. It has made them champions and will again make them champions this season. Third episode, then, we get Casey, who talks about the fact that the challenge requires her to lay down in the sand, on wood, on bridges, across platforms, and allow one of her teammates to step on her back, in her face, and anywhere they want on top of her. I really don't want to get, like, stepped on, you know, physically or metaphorically speaking. As much as I understand her team's frustrations with her during this season, I will love Casey this season and every season for being the one who points out the obvious in the moment that needs to be said, whether it's about how no one wants should be wanting or enjoying jumping from the heights they jump from, and how in this moment, no one should want to be stepped on. They don't want to be stepped on physically, metaphorically, anything. I get it. I understand it. And I appreciate Casey pointing out the obvious when no one else will. We move on to Kahuta. He's back again with a fourth nominee, second for him, fourth 
overall after winning one of his many elimination wins. And by many, I mean two. His second one, he gets a whole bunch of money because of it. And this is what he has to say about the situation. It's always a great feeling to remove a champion from where he sits. I feel 10 feet tall and bulletproof right now. I mean, I feel like no man can stop Kaha at this point. Well, And then finally, fifth nominee is Susie speaking on Kellyanne and others on the challenger side and who she would and would not want to go against and why in an elimination. If the champion boys throw this challenge, they're banking on Kellyanne being chosen to go into the ruins. I don't want to go against Kellyanne. Kellyanne isn't a human. She's a fembot and could clearly beat me because I'm immortal. This is what I'm... Out of those five, it's a, it's a tough call, but I'm going to go with that fifth and final one. I'm giving it to Susie. Uh, speaking about Kellyanne, um, I'm a big Austin Powers fan, so the Fembot reference, you know, it hit, it hits me. I was the right age. I think those movies then, and probably, hopefully, maybe I don't know how they waged, but probably still today are absolutely hilarious. Most of it, at least. So Susie gets the win, and I break the tie because while Susie gets the quote of the year, I'm given. Kahuta, the much-coveted Dan Renzi Award for Confessional King or Queen of the Season. I'm giving Confessional King to Kahuta. I love listening to this man talk at any time, and certainly in the confessional booth, he crushes it all season long, even if he's only there for, what, I think six episodes, seven of the episodes. That's plenty enough. His confessionals are great. He gets the Dan Renzi. Susie gets the best quote. Let's skip ahead to best episode, come back to iconic moment. I always put these in the wrong order. Iconic moment should go last of these. Of the best episodes, there's episode one, two, four, and eight. That's West Side Story, The Booby Trap, Girls Gone Wild, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Yes, there were some horrible tie-related puns. There was Muay Thai used. There was Tie 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 used. But thankfully, they didn't do it every single episode like they had done with the Duel 2. But of those four, episode one, West Side Story, it's just all about Wes. There's a big argument. Um, we're coming to that in here in a second. Um, episode two, kind of all about Wes, kind of all about Evelyn uh, being put up against Kellyanne, all that kind of stuff. Episode four um, has one of the fights go down. Episode eight has the other fight go down. Of these four episodes, the best one of all of them is a tie really between one and two. I'll give it to two because it loops in not just Wes and Kellyanne, but loops in kind of all parts of Wes's whole story. It loops in the Evelyn versus the J-E-K-D alliance story. All of that's kind of wrapped into one. Episode two is, is fire. It's fantastic. It's got a good daily. It's got good eliminations, the whole thing. Episode two is the best of the season. But as for... The best ep- the best moment of the season, the iconic moment of the season, the infamous moment of the season, the the just top one, the one that gets the award. The one thing we haven't said from episode two, two things actually, that make it probably the best episode. One of them we've only referenced once, and that is Siobhan popping her implant on the daily challenge. The uh as referenced before, the daily challenge swing on by where you grab the rope jump off the dock, swing around a fence, land on another fence wall type thing on the other side. Siobhan takes a fall, and we all know what happens. She comes out of the water. She says something's burning. She feels like an implant has been popped. Danny, among others, is like, Siobhan, don't you dare quit. Get up there. I don't care. Whatever you say, I don't care. Do it again. Siobhan, the cojones on that woman does try again and falls a second time, probably making the situation that was already bad a whole lot worse. 
But Siobhan Thompson implant, we all remember it. We all know it's a very infamous, memorable moment in challenge history. That happens in episode two. Same episode, Wes and Darrell get super into it, super heated. They argue over and over. Darrell says, "Let's find. Well, I'm going to find you after the show, and we're gonna you're, we're going to find out what kind of fighter you are." Wes says, "Let's do it now." Darrell says, "Fine, let's go outside where there's no cameras or whatever, and maybe we won't get in trouble." And then Wes goes like, "Let's freaking do it!" Makes a big show of it, the whole thing. Wes breaks a bunch of stuff, knocks over a bunch of stuff. He's got a tirade. Um, it's it's wonderful theater by one Mr. Weston Bergman. That is also one of the moments of the season, the kind of whole thing lumped into one because it's kind of the the big, it's the flashpoint moment of this big storyline for him. Third nominee, Kahuta beating Wes is a massive moment of the season. And then the fourth nominee, the thing we haven't talked about yet at all, somehow, some way, is Darrell knocking out Brad. Uh, Darrell almost ends Brad's life in this season. He knocks him out uh, and gives him the biggest knot on his head, blood gushing everywhere um, by the fact when they do the interview after the fact, Brad's eye is completely swollen, closed, and his whole like half of his face is black and blue. And it stems from a little context. If you've never listened to an interview with Brad or come across his story that he's told a few times out there, uh, he gets super duper drunk that night. He gets super duper drunk that night that we don't see on the show, but we find out from Brad and Darrell after the fact is because Kahuta goes home and Brad and Kahuta are real good friends on this season. And Brad is very, very bummed out that Kahuta has gone home. He and Darrell are friends, but not as maybe as tight as Kahuta and Brad are. And they get back to the house that night and Darrell wants to celebrate. Darrell's drinking a little. And he says to Brad, like, let's drink. Like, come on, buddy. Like, celebrate with me. I know it's your teammate, but like, I'm your boy. Like, let's celebrate. Brad says no. And then Darrell says to him, you would have celebrated with Kahuta if he won. And Brad says, fine. And supposedly, I guess, grabs like a bottle of whiskey and like takes it to the face. Um, Maybe I'm getting that part a little wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's basically what he has said on a couple different podcasts, on Challenge Many Lives that have been at, different things. Um, And basically gets drunk because he wants to prove to Darrell that like, Hey, like, yeah, I'm bummed because my buddy went home and it's my teammate, but I'm like, we're friends. We're cool. We're good. And so the irony of the fact that that is what causes him to drink a bunch that night and then get so drunk that later on he's been stewing for a couple days. He's so bummed that his team just keeps getting decimated that Casey can't go into an elimination. That's dragging their team down all of it. He gets bummed. He gets super duper drunk and he decides he just wants to let out some anger. He goes into the champion's room and he just starts talking shit to all the guys, starts antagonizing. And for some reason, he chooses Durrell in the corner, sitting down to talk to, to antagonize, to pick at, poke at, try to get him to wrestle him. And Durrell's like, no, I don't do that. I will I will mess you up. If we're going to do that, I'm going to mess you up. I'm going to stay here sitting. He fends it off for a long time, but Brad just keeps going and going and going and going and going. And eventually, Brad gets close enough, touches Darrell once. Darrell pushes Brad back. Brad trips over the bed as Darrell pushes him a second time. Brad falls on the floor. Darrell jumps on top and pounds his fist into Brad's head, which then hits the floor. And that happens a couple times over before anyone can get them separated. And Brad's face gets very, very, very messed up in all of this. He's gushing blood. They, Johnny and Evan and Kenny have to like lay him on the bed for a minute before he 
wakes up, comes back to a little, and wants to go after him again. Obviously, Darrell and Brad are both eliminated from the season. It's monumental because, one, Darrell's the 4 by 4 champ at this point and is well on his way, having just won an elimination and made a deal that he would not have to go into any more eliminations. He's in the final. He's going 5 for 5. Darrell's the 5 for 5 GOAT champion of this show if this moment doesn't happen. Brad is kind of the last hope of the challengers team. It then goes to Dunbar being the only guy there. Brad definitely has a shot in these eliminations. I would say if Brad goes in versus instead of Dunbar into the ragdoll versus Johnny, I think Brad wins that it's close. Who knows? It could go either way, but regardless, having Brad certainly changes the odds a little bit on the challengers versus champ side of things. And so either way, two legends of the game are knocked out with one punch and one knockout and the the challenge history of the game is changed forever with Darrell being eliminated in this way. He'd still never lost, but now he's been DQ'd. So that moment is way, way up there. And of the four, again, iconic moment. Isn't the best, isn't, isn't the greatest, isn't the one that the people are the most proud of. It's the most memorable. The one you think of first when you think of this season. And if we remove all of the things we started this podcast talking about. And obviously here, I have not included the other act of violence that sent someone home because we talked enough about that situation and I don't, I don't want to go into the, the other, other parts of it. So, uh, of these four, Wes's tirade, Siobhan's popped implant, Kahuta beating Wes, Darrell knocking out Brad. It's a tough call between Siobhan and Darrell. Both of those are likely going to make the like most infamous moments of all time bracket, but I've got to give it to Darrell knocking out Brad. To the two big individual awards we go, and the first one is very easy and uh, almost literally zero discussion. Rookie of the season. There's only a couple of them, and Sarah wins. Sarah wins going away. It wouldn't have mattered if... Almost everyone else in this house would have been a rookie as well. As we're going to talk about with the MVP, she would have beaten almost anyone regardless of this, but certainly the Briannas in the Chets of the world stood no chance versus the Sarahs of the world. Sarah is the rookie of the season. We don't got to talk any further about it. As for the MVP, where we will mention Sarah again here in a minute, let's start as we always do with the, the where were you? Kenny and Durrell. Darrell, uh, you know, the four-time champ, is still playing the Darrell game. He's in the background. He's awesome. We love him. Anytime he does pop up on our screen, he's entertaining, but he's not popping up that much because he just likes to be in the background. He likes to float to the end and then kick everyone's ass and get those checks. So, But he still, as usual, falls kind of in that where were you category, as does Kenny. Yes, Kenny was doing... Uh, you know, some teasing and some picking and some uh, really mean, nasty things towards a Sarah. But otherwise, he's not really around. And he is a former MVP. And he does, you know, he wins this season. He's there the whole time. But he's not really adding a whole lot. He's not really impacting the season. He definitely falls into the where were you category. Then the gone too soon. The only one that truly falls in this category is Evelyn. Because Evelyn certainly, uh, as uh, someone who's capable of, of winning an MVP has won an MVP before she's definitely up there and she has a great first episode to two, but then she goes home. So she's a perfect gone too soon type of person as 
maybe most seasons you would say is Wes, who is gone after five episodes. That's only half the season. You would think he's in the gone too soon category, but no, he's not because he has such an impact in those five episodes that yes, Mr. Weston Bergman does make the top five. So let's talk that top five and where he ends up. The five people who ended up on the final ballot for MVP in fifth place, the one and only Mr. Kahuta Grindstaff. Kahuta, great season, gets the two elimination wins. He's a part of you know storylines with Kellyanne and Wes and that whole dynamic, a part of the challengers falling apart and then their only hope being that Kahuta wins a couple in a row while Sarah wins one and Kellyanne wins one and they've got a little momentum here. He's you know the driving force behind the one daily challenge they win. All in all, the Dan Renzi Award winner, so Kahuta makes the ballot at number five. In fourth place, the reigning MVP coming into the season off of the Duel 2, that would be Evan. Evan has another big-time season. He has the most confessionals this season, not by anywhere near the amount that back on the Duel 2 where he almost doubled up second place, but he has the most confessionals. He is the narrator kind of of the season. Admittedly, as much as this may anger some people to uh, hear, from what we actually see on camera, he is the one of his little group that is at times trying to either there's some there is some apology from him a couple different times, but also just some I'm the one that goes and talks to Wes. I'm the one that goes and talks to Sarah. I'm the one that goes and talks to Susie. I'm the one that goes and talks to Veronica and says pretty flat out, yeah, this isn't cool. And yeah, like some of the stuff going on isn't great. And the alliance part of things like is also not fair and not not good. And so he he puts himself a little bit like his he's painted in a better light. He paints himself, he his actions paint him in a little bit better light than his other alliance members. Um again, shoot me for saying it, but it, the from what we see on screen, that is actually true. He also has the only romance of the season. We didn't talk about romance in the storylines because it was basically non-existent other than the, you know, the West Kellyanne plus others of revolving around them is Evan and Veronica get a little close midway through this season. So Evan between winning it, running the Alliance, uh, having the most confessionals, he makes a ballot. He comes in for third place is our rookie of the year. She gets third on the MVP. That would be miss Sarah rice. Couple elimination wins the almost massive upset in the final, the de facto team leader of the challengers most of the way through and just the overall wonderful person who becomes a star immediately. One of the immediate big rookie, like, there we go. We got, we only had a couple rookies this season, but thank goodness one of them is a bona fide challenge superstar and everyone can love and root for this person. Sarah makes the ballot. Then in second place is Wes and I, I, I didn't look back, but I don't think I have to to confirm no one has ever even made the ballot only being there for half of a season, let alone get second place and be really in contention. I really thought about Wes possibly being the MVP of this season. If it wasn't for a strong performance that we're going to talk about again in a moment, he very well might have snuck it out. But even in five episodes, those five episodes, I mean, two of them truly are 100% about Wes Bergman, and that is it. That is the only thing they're about. And those other three, 
he is front and center at all times in those as well. Even if some other characters are having a little moments or getting some screen time, he's still super duper prevalent. He is winning eliminations. He's winning daily challenges. He's trying to throw daily challenges. He's building an apartment for him and his girlfriend. He's talking to his ex-fiance. He's getting threatened by his ex-fiance. He's trying to be the moral high ground. He's lying about giving his money to charity, or maybe he didn't. Maybe he gave his money to charity. I don't know, but he's amazing. He's entertaining. He dominates this season story-wise, screen-wise, everything-wise, while he is there, and it's one of the most impressive half-season runs we've ever seen. It gets him all the way to second place, but that elusive MVP slides out of his hands once again because the MVP of the Ruins of Season 18, yet again, we don't have a two-time winner. It seems like it'll never happen. We have so many past winners in this house. Evan's there. Kenny's there. Evelyn's there. Uh, Derek's there. Uh, there's probably other ones that I'm forgetting that are there, but no, no two-time MVP again because first-time MVP Susie takes home the award. Susie Meister is the MVP of the Ruin. She has three elimination wins. She goes on to win the season with her team. The story revolves solely around her for the last two and a half to three full episodes. Her and Sarah become best friends, and that's really wonderful. She has the second most confessional. She becomes possibly the female goat of the show at this point in time with this victory. And she's just all around awesome. She is a part of the main alliance, the core alliance within the alliance that really runs this game and truly is the one dominating and pulling the strings. Everything about it, start to finish, it's Susie's world. We're just living in it. Susie is by far, for sure, the MVP of the Ruins. And with that, we've come to the most important part of this podcast, which is why we always save it to the end. That is the full season grade and where it goes in the challenge history books for all time. As always, we talk female cast, male cast, sport grade, show grade. That leads us to, while not an average, but helps lead us to an overall grade for the show at the end. And this one, I'm I'm slightly surprised by it, I'll be honest, going in. I think I've made that made that clear early in the podcast that I was a little bit surprised by where this maybe ended up. I, like a lot of you, maybe listening to this, maybe you've done a rewatch recently in preparation for this podcast, as I myself did. Maybe you felt the same way I did going in, thinking, ah, well, the first thing I'm gonna think about is all the ugly stuff and the cloud hanging over and that lawsuit and all this stuff, and that season sucks, and the champs just won and everything, and like it's not that good. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, whoa, if, big if, but if I can set some of those things to the side, pretty awesome season, pretty good season, pretty compelling season, a lot of interesting things going on, a lot of interesting characters that I, whether I like them in this moment, I eventually like a lot of them and I even maybe like a lot of them in the moment and all this stuff. And it's crazy that it turns out it's better than I even thought. So let's do the subgrades leading up to the big grade. Female cast side, heavy hitters, solid contributors, Duds. Heavy hitters, Susie, Veronica, Katie, Tanya, Evelyn, Kellyanne, Sarah, DM. Holy cow. That's a murderer's row. That's eight heavy hitters out of 14 cast members on the female side. Johanna, Casey, Kim come in as solid contributors. Abyss, Brianna, and Siobhan, who Siobhan could be in solid or duds. It's only two seasons. It's early exits both times, but damn it, she doesn't make an impact. She pops an implant. She fucks CT the last season. She makes an impact, but I still put her in the duds with the beast, with Brianna, Johanna, Casey, Kim, solid. 
Eight, though, heavy hitters out of 14, three solid. That leads to an A- minus for sure, especially given that the duds of the season are all gone within a few episodes. The heavy hitters make it almost all to the end or a lot further than the others. So that's an A- minus score on the female cast side. Great, great female cast. Male cast side, also an A-, minus. heavy hitters. Derek, Evan, Johnny, Kenny, Darrell, Wes, Brad. That's a lot. That's crazy. That's that's all-time stuff. Derek, Evan, Johnny, Kenny, Darrell, Wes, Brad. Incredible. Solid contributors. Cyrus, Dunbar, Kahuta, Adam, and Chet. Putting Chet in the solid contributors. I like Chet. I like Chet on this show. <laughs> Duds, Nick and Danny. Danny forever dud. Sorry, I know he does a lot of seasons, and I, I know I am the one who is the biggest defender and the, the most empathetic and sympathetic with Danny on this show, but still falls in that category. Regardless... While it's not quite the same distribution as the female side is, it's still seven heavy hitters, big, big names in that group. That's an A- minus as well. As for the sport grade, we've got really good eliminations, the best ever. We've got rock-solid dailies. No great ones, no amazing ones, but also literally no bad ones. None. Rock-solid performance from the dailies. We've got a near-massive upset in the final, and some of those eliminations are also competitive. But also the dailies are eight out of nine. They're super one-sided. They're bored, almost nine out of nine. It's by like a half a second that it's not nine out of nine. That brings things down. And the rock-solid nature of the dailies kind of helps lead to the just the rock-solid score on the sports side, a flat B. On the show side, also a flat B. Now, this is higher if all the interesting stuff didn't double as, you know, sometimes dark, sometimes hard to watch, like... It's crazy that we have this like amazing, memorable, infamous moment of Darrell punching out Brad. It's also really hard to watch and really sad that someone gets punched out like that. It's really horrible and hard to watch Siobhan pomp an implant. It's also super memorable in one of the craziest, most iconic moments in challenge history. So there's kind of a double-edged sword to a lot of the stuff. Same thing, you know, with the whole West storyline. It's all amazing, but it's also like, oh, this is a bummer. They're all like hating on each other and, you know, tormenting each other. Sarah, amazing rookie season, kind of brought down a little bit by the fact that, you know, she's being teased the way she's teased and going through what she's going through. So all in all, it's like we've got all this crazy, interesting, amazing stuff, but it's all kind of double-edged sides of like the good and the bad. None of it just solely one side or the other. Show grade gets a B as well. The situation, uh, the West situation, the first half, the Susie situation, the last third, they carry the show. There are big, undeniable moments, but again, that double-edged side of it. Show grade, also a B, which leads to... The overall grade of a B, a flat B, which, yes, if you just told me when I started doing this rewatch, when I started with season one, if you would have said, hey, before you do this, write out every season and give your grade ahead of time. What Go off memory. You've seen every season at least once, if not a bunch of times, a lot of them. Go off memory and give, give us your impression, and then let's see what matches up and what doesn't when you actually do the rewatch and really go in deep and really give the official grade. I would have said the Ruins was one of the worst seasons ever, and I would have been very, very wrong because it's just not. It's just not. Uh, It's a B, which puts it above nine other seasons of the 19 we have graded so far. So literally dead center out of 19, it would be 10th. It's tied with season two and season five, which leads me to realize for the second or third time now, I really need to redo the grade for season five, the original Battle of Seasons, uh, because it's better. 
than this one, certainly. And it's better in season two. And it's it's might be better than some of the ones I gave a B plus. So I need to redo that one. But regardless, it's it's this season, the ruins is the worst of those three that have gotten a B, which is why it's 10th out of 19, exactly in the middle. Um, I didn't expect it to get it this high. Obviously, yes, I am factoring in the the unfortunate behavior, the fallout of everything that happened after the fact, all the stuff we talked about early on in this podcast. Um, factoring that in, factoring in the lopsidedness of the competition, it clouds it for me. It makes it it makes it not as fun. Again, that's why I said earlier, if Kellyanne and Sarah would have pulled off the upset, that vaults the season in a whole different way. That changes things in a big, big way. But even with the lack of competition at times in basically in the in overall and that cloud of shitty stuff that hangs over the season. There is a version of this season that honestly could have got into the a range. Like this, this season has a lot of great stuff. It has these super memorable moments. It has a bunch of big characters in the middle of arcs uh, that are super important to the history of this show. It has a lot of history being made, whether it be format or people winning for a certain amount of times or confessionals or whatever. It's It's got a lot to love. It, the, the problem is it's kind of got a lot to dislike as well. And that is why it's just kind of the definitive B for me. And it, it makes a really good kind of benchmark for other seasons, whether going backwards or forwards, a relook at old grades or moving forward with grades in the future of like, this is the one that is, it's the good with the bad. It's the great with the horrible. And there's less of the bad and the horrible, but that shit weighs more than a lot of the good. So even though there's a lot more good, there's some great stuff. There's some fascinating stuff that a couple bad things, a couple horrible things weigh it down and almost equals it out to where like, this is a good season. Part of me by my old school definition of does it move the season forward? Does it keep the momentum going? Does it not do anything at all? Does it move it backwards? This season in a weird way is much and as shitty as some of the things that came out of it were because those things finally hit the boiling point, because we finally reached the point of no return of like, you're dealing with this or the show is going to end. This almost does move the show forward because they finally do start to actually realize shit. This just got super serious. This just got went way past where we wanted it to go. And now we actually have to do something. We have to look in the mirror and we have to make some changes and whether they do it immediately or not, they do eventually do it all. Um, you know, slowly but surely, uh, and they do. And so in a way that's moving the, the franchise forward. And when you remove that stuff, just the format of the show and building these new crop of characters, um, and reputations in the show and stars, whether it be bananas, whether it be Derek continuing his run, whether it be Sarah now coming up, whether it be Evelyn having another chapter, Kellyanne Wes, certainly, uh, it really, it matters a lot. Darrell, Brad, there's just so many big names. So it's such a good cast, so much good. Even if the couple bad weighs very heavy on the scales, uh, it basically just stops this from coming anywhere near the A range. It keeps it solidly in the B range. And this is right in the middle of, of challenge lore. Uh, it's dead in the middle. There's a lot to discuss. We've discussed it all, but we give it a B. That's where it's placed for now, right dead center, 10 out of 19. Um, on all the ones we've talked about. And with that, we've covered it all. I know this one was a little longer than uh, than a lot of these solo rewatches are, but I hope you understand that obviously that comes 
mostly with having to do a big long segment up top about the things that had to be discussed with this season. But that's the ruins. I'm glad I did it. I hope you rewatched it. Oh, one final thing I totally forgot to say. There's something uh, with this season and the season prior, a tip for you, if you will. Uh, Very important. Those still listening, you'll be happy you are. This season has one episode that you cannot watch on Paramount+. Plus. The prior season, The Duel 2, also has an episode you cannot watch on Paramount+. Plus. The Duel 2, it is uh, episode number one. The Ruins, it's episode number four. And I believe, is that episode number four? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's where things go south with Tanya. Um, if you want to watch them, there is a way. Uh, there's a perfectly legal way, uh, legal loophole that exists out there. On the dual side of things, dual two, if you want to watch episode one, you can purchase it on iTunes and it will play it for you. It's three bucks. You got to buy it on iTunes. There's no other way to do it, but it is available to buy on that single platform, specifically like iTunes, not like don't go to the, the more modern Apple app on your iPhone. If you've got a new iPhone, like go on your desktop, download iTunes and buy it on iTunes and you watch episode one of the dual two on this season. Episode four, again, I believe it is one of the episodes you cannot watch, but there is a loophole. Don't go buy this one on iTunes. It doesn't work. I went and bought it on iTunes, and then it wouldn't play it for me. It was like, we can't play that. We'll play you episode 10 instead. And I was like, that's not what I just paid $3 for, but I digress. I then went and looked on Amazon, and on Amazon, The Ruins is there. It's available. You can buy the season. You can buy individual episodes. If you buy the season, it will not play episode four for you. If you try to buy episode four as an individual episode, you cannot. There's no button to, to, to watch it, to buy it, to anything. There is, however, a button that says Watch Party. On Amazon, they have a thing. Netflix does it too, I believe now, but there's a button called Watch Party. If you and some friends want to watch the same thing at the same time, it's basically like joining a Zoom call where you're all watching the same thing. And you can click watch party and then you can add friends to it. You can all say, hey, we're here, we're in the room. And then you watch it together and there's a chat room on the side. It's the whole thing. For some reason, while you can't buy the episode, watch the episode independently, if you click watch party on episode four of The Ruins, it will play it for you. It will pop it up. It will say you've created a watch party. Do you want to invite anyone? You click no, or you do. I don't know. Invite some friends, sure. And then uh, it's a weird thing to watch as a group, but whatever, do you. Uh, and then you just click no, I don't want to invite anyone. Click play, and it starts it, and it lets you watch it. So that's a little tip uh, realized. I know it's been frustrating, you know, the episodes that aren't available to the public. Uh, everyone, you know, always wanted to find that person with the link or whatever they can get. But these ones, uh, you can buy episode one, dual two on iTunes for $3 and watch it. You can do a watch party specifically on Amazon and watch episode four of the ruins. So tip for you there. Glad I remember that at the very last second, because now this podcast is over. Thank you so much for being here. Watch rider dies episode zero tonight. It's a real episode. If you don't, if you listen to this later, go back and watch it. I'll be back to talk rider dies later this week, multiple times. I love you. I thank you for being here until we talk again. Peace.